When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. From Brevity Studios in New Zealand, I'm Ryan Wolf, and this is Guilt. On the last episode of Guilt, who killed Jordan Vidori? Quite a larger than life sort of guy, you know, like he was quite, uh, he was always quite neat to have a conversation with. He was quite sort of vibrant and energetic and, and uh, you know, he had a lot going on. But yeah, lots of conjecture. What I didn't like was the police actually coming and giving me a questionnaire, which had about 52 questions in it, and it was all about my neighbours. Yeah. There was nothing, uh, <laughs> they didn't seem to be looking at any other angle. Because his body was not, it was quite badly mutilated. I know from the undertaker he didn't want the kids to see because he had knife cuts on his arms and things. You can't just uh, let it go like this. Because people, there are a lot of people of our family, they're waiting for it. To find out why, what's the reason, what's the purpose. That, that, person, that person doesn't have a conscience and I don't think he has any feelings. His heart will be stainless steel. First off, I want to thank you all for your amazing support and feedback after episode one. Plenty of five-star ratings, but please keep them coming. It helps this podcast rise the ranks and more importantly, get Jordan's story out there. When I set out making this podcast, I didn't want to set a specific time period between episodes because I wanted to let the story unfold naturally, and I didn't want to overpromise and underdeliver. My initial plan was to aim for one a month, but I'm going to try and aim for a shorter time frame because there's so much happening and I really want to share it with you. And you won't have to wait long. Episode 3 is going to be released one week from the date this podcast airs. Before we dive into this episode, I want to give you fair warning. This episode is going to throw a lot of information at you, so pay attention. I'll introduce a few key theories, but we won't be taking a deep dive into any of them just yet. But don't worry, 
We certainly will be investigating all these leads thoroughly in upcoming episodes. For now, let's just listen and absorb. Last week, I walked into the antique store of Vivian Leonard and immediately knew I'd come to the right place. To recap, Viv owns the antique store Arkwright's Antiques. This is the oldest antique store in Paidoa. She more or less started the trend for the town. Over the years, Viv has been very outspoken about Jordan's murder and has become a town pinboard of sorts. People stop by and pass on information, things they've heard, different theories, rumour, facts, and she diligently keeps a mental track. This has rubbed a few people the wrong way, rightly or wrongly, believing she's spreading misinformation and that she should just let it go. But the reality is that in this case, where so little is known publicly, one of these tidbits of information could hold the key to solving the case. Viv cares deeply about this case, and is the first to admit she's a bit of a blabmouth when it comes to the different theories. But that's exactly what I'm looking for. I told her I needed to hear all the rumours, no matter how crazy, so I can investigate each one in order to rule it out. And she welcomes this, a potential end to all the speculation. Initially, when I walk in the shop, it does look familiar. I've been here before, although years ago, and only as a casual bargain-hunting customer. This time, I come with a far different purpose in mind. As I enter the shop, I find an older woman struggling to scan her COVID QR code, an ironic reminder of the modern times we live in, given the age of the items in this antique store. Just pull it away a bit further. Back, 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 back. Oh, there we go. Thank you. They can be a bit tricky, those things, can't they? Nice store with a lot of a lot of cool things in here. Yeah, hi. Might have the odd one here. Hi. Hi. You don't happen to be Vivian, do you? Yes, I am. Oh, okay. Um, my name's Ryan Wolf. I'm um, I'm making a podcast about the murder of Jordan Vidori. Vivian's in her sixties, with silver hair, and oozes a refreshing frankness and friendliness. Despite her twenty-five plus years in business. She still happily greets each customer as they enter her store and points them in the right direction, with an apparent photographic memory of every item in her store. Something I realised very quickly was that she knew most of the people coming through the door, returning customers from far and wide, looking for a bargain. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know, nine years. Got his little garden sussed around there. Um, I was wondering, would you be interested in, in having a chat? Maybe not now, obviously yeah. you're busy, yeah. but um, at some point. Definitely, yeah. Initially we make a plan to meet at a later time, but as I've now learned with interviews, things have a habit of just rolling from a brief chat into an hour-long conversation. We end up spending the next hour talking, Viv behind her counter, deftly dealing with customers, while answering my questions. Straight off the bat, she remembers Jordan's fieriness. I to call him my guard dog because he'd caught burglars... Um, you know, he'd hear them, because he lived there, he'd hear them kicking in my door, and he'd come out and say, what the hell are you doing? And they'd run around the corner and he'd, get away, yeah, you hear you bastards, and he'd scare them away, and then they'd come back and were kicking the door again. <clears throat> and the council um, cameras, you could see this big tall guy and a smaller guy out on the footpath, and they were just running and booting at my door, and Jordan had come out again, and he scared them away. They didn't get in that night. 
but um, you could see where they'd broken one lock, but there was another lock and they didn't get in. So, jokingly, we, uh, I used to say it was my guard dog. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was very good. It was felt good yeah. having a bit of security there. Mm, so, yeah, pretty sad when it all went down. In episode one, I mentioned the TV show Cold Case, which aired in September of 2020. In this episode, they detailed the way in which Jordan had been shot. These facts had never previously been released, and this lack of information had no doubt fueled the fire of the rumour mill over the previous eight years. We were led to believe, I was led to believe that he got shot in the back of the head, and so it was like an um, execution-style yeah. drug thing, which we thought. But then they showed it on TV, and he was, by the scuffle marks out there, they could see that he'd actually struggled with the yeah. gun, and then it had gone off and gone through his arm and then his heart or something, so he actually got shot. In the arm, which was, to me, that was quite a relief that yeah. that it wasn't, you know. Well, and it probably puts boom. to bed some rumours that, you know, by the sounds of that, it sounds, it may have been almost accidental in a way. Well, you, yeah, you they know, could like, have just been robbing because he'd had his freezers robbed, um, stolen out of, and he, apparently he did go to the police about that. Yeah, well, that's so, interesting as well. Was he just sort of that kind of guy that he sort of took care of things well, on his own? Well, I suppose he didn't want the police sniffing around either, you know. Yeah. Mm. So, and the police asked me at the beginning, you know, did I think he had anything to do with drugs? And I said, no, nah, no, no way. I said, he used to tell the kids, keep away from that shit, you yeah. know, don't touch that shit. But then a few years later, I met someone who used to work out at the meatworks, and he said that, mm, yeah, he was involved with P, and it was like, really? Let's pause a moment to address a couple of the points Viv just made. First off, Viv's claim that Jordan's freezers had been robbed. At the back of Jordan's pizza shop, Mykonos, Jordan had some large freezers, which he used to store meat. At any one time, there could be hundreds of dollars worth of meat in these freezers. When I heard this, it piqued my interest. Could Jordan have heard thieves breaking into his freezers that night and confronted them? I managed to find a reliable source who does not wish to be named. I asked him about the supposed freezer robberies and whether Jordan went to the police. These are his words but not his voice. I don't know if he made an actual police report. He had a lot of meat and stuff taken a couple of times. He'd had his tobacco stolen a couple of times from out the back as well. I asked if Jordan was the kind of person who would confront a burglar. Definitely. I asked if Jordan had any idea who the thieves might have been. He worked hard for what he had. He was pretty generous. Um, He didn't like thieves at all if he did know he probably would have kept that to himself from everything we know about jordan i think it can be safely assumed that he would have confronted any burglars and if this was the case it could certainly have led to an altercation however the stretch for me is the loaded gun element would a burglar or burglars take a loaded gun just to steal some meat out of a freezer I don't know the statistics on how common it is for a burglar to carry a loaded gun in New Zealand, but I'd assume it's not high. But that doesn't mean it's not possible. Now, on the surface, this is an extremely important piece of information. Multiple known burglaries in the months leading up to Jordan's murder. This gives us our only known motive at this point. I'm going to need to investigate the freezer lead thoroughly at a later stage. The second point Viv raised is the drug implication. In New Zealand, and probably anywhere in the world, any time there is an unsolved murder, 
where the victim has been shot, people are going to speculate about drugs and gang involvement. And this case has been no different. I want to make clear that in my investigation to date, I have found no evidence that Jordan had any involvement in drugs or any gang connections whatsoever. In fact, Jordan seems to have been vehemently opposed to them. However, it is still a lead that must be pursued, and I will in a future episode. For now, Viv and I keep chatting. I explain to her what a podcast is and what my plans are for the investigation. It's then that she mentions a name that I haven't yet heard, but one that would come up again and again. Before we continue, I just want to be clear. No person has ever been charged with Jordan's murder, and any person is presumed innocent until proven otherwise. Has anybody mentioned Gareth Carey? Not yet, no. guy who had a ponytail, he'd come down from Auckland. No. And apparently he got mixed up with the triads in Auckland. Yeah. And Jordan rescued him, but got him down to Pyra, and he worked for Jordan, and I think he stayed there with him for a while until he got a flat. And um, Jordan had given him the sack, booted him out, and strangely enough, on the night of the murder, he was working. So it was like, really, what? Mm. And then a lady who went in there for dinner that night um, took her husband in there and she introduced him to Jordan. And he said Jordan was visibly not um, himself really that night. And he said the guy out in the kitchen was throwing stuff around and, you know, there was obviously something going on. And she said to him, are you all right? And he said, yeah, yeah. And she said, you take care of yourself now. And she patted him on the shoulder. And he said, yeah, 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 I'm fine. Because I reckon he, the police caught him on a one-way ticket to China. And they stopped him at the airport. And it's just like, hmm, yeah. But they'll be watching him, I'm sure. But his mother, <clears throat> that boy's mother, rang me and she told me that her son had been in trouble with the triads. And she said, and he's got a few problems because he came and sold me some stuff that he'd pinched off her. And she rang me and said, have you bought anything off Gareth? And I was sort of, who? And she said, he works for Jordan next door. And this is like, I don't know how long before Jordan was murdered. Probably two or three months. And I told her what I'd bought off him. And she said, well, that was my father's. My late father was a doctor and those things are mine, $200. She said, put them aside, I'll come down, I'll pay you and get them back. She never, ever came. And then the murder happened and we all thought it was Gareth because we knew he'd been sacked, but he was there that night. So it's like, mm, but he had a good alibi. He reckoned he didn't leave the place. He'd bought beers and gone home, and the people that he was flatting with or living with gave, you know, did the, gave him an alibi. And was like, well, if you're all drinking, how would you know if he didn't get up in the night and go out again? Or, But the police, they would have done all that yeah. investigating. Obviously, there's a lot to take in here, so let's break this down quickly. I have confirmed that Jordan did in fact hire a young man from Auckland to work in the store, and that they did have a tense relationship at times. The claims about a one-way ticket to China seem a wee bit dubious, but if they were true, would need some explaining. Gareth's possible involvement with a gang known as the Triads is speculation at this point, but certainly worth noting. The claim that Jordan and Gareth had been arguing the night of Jordan's murder is obviously important, and if Gareth had been fired, what was the reason he was working on the night of Jordan's death And why was he fired? And what was his alibi? Up until this point, 
Viv has filled me in on all the different theories, but they've been made up of a lot of speculation and hearsay. What she was about to say next was quite different and would make my hair stand on end. Actually, another thing that happened, which along the way, like about six years after Jordan was killed, um, the paper, local paper, come and they said, Could, you know, we're going to do a follow-up on Jordan, do you want... And I said, yeah, I'll, I'll help. I, you know, I'll do anything I can to help catch who ever killed him. Anyway, they did a big story and a big picture this big on the front page of me. And then and someone said, oh, you'd think the Haraki Herald would have a story because they're all owned by the same out. So the next week another big story came out with it added to. And it was like, oh, God, shrink, you know, because then it was out there for everybody to see. Well... My girl was working here and I was over in the refinery and I get a phone call and she said, oh, there's this guy here who wants to talk to you, big Maori guy, and um, gave me the phone. It was raining outside, I could barely hear. And he said, look, I just read the story about you trying to find out who did the murder. He said, he said I know who did it. And he said, and he's dead now. So he said, just get, lay off, just forget about it. And I said, well, have you told the police this? And he said, yep. He said, they know. He said, it was my nephew. He said, and he got killed a couple of weeks ago, a guy from Waihi, but he was, he was I think he got taken out, I don't know. For, but it was the, um, not the mongrel mob. Um, anyway, he's, this guy was talking. He said, they tried to nail it on my son. He said, but it wasn't my son, it was my nephew. And he said, and he's already dead, so over and out. So, I mean, the plot thickened, you think, and then I think the police just thought that was just a sort of a smoke screen to cut, you know, saying he was already dead. And you think, well, was it, was it yeah. this guy's son? Or, and why? So yeah. it really is, you know, but so I decided to butt out because someone said to me, you better shut the hell up and just mind your own business or, yeah. or they're going to, they might decide to take you out. For me, this was a bombshell moment. If a man walked in person off the street into Viv's store and spoke with her and her staff member, that's direct evidence. It's not hearsay, and to me, that's absolutely key. It was at this point that Viv made it very clear that she wasn't going to say any more. I pressed her for the man's name, and although she says she knows this, she certainly wasn't going to be giving it to me. And while frustrating, I do understand Some of the further details we spoke of off the record do implicate gang involvement, and while gangs in New Zealand, for the most part, have no interest in the goings-on of normal citizens, you definitely don't want them to come knocking on your door, so I respect Viv's decision not to speak further on the matter. However, I need to verify this lead, and fortunately we have another witness. One of Viv's staff, Sharon, was working that day, and in fact was the person that actually saw him in the store. I was curious to see if she remembers the day the same as Viv. A few days later, I called the store to have a chat. Let's jump ahead to that conversation quickly. Yeah, I just wanted to ask you a question about um, the man that came into the store that day. Oh, yeah, the Mary guy. Yeah, can I just ask you a couple of questions about him quick? Yes, sure, see what I can remember. Um, Maybe just walk me through what happened that day. Oh, he just came in and said, are you, are you Viv? And I went, no, I work for Viv. And he goes, oh, well, I'm here about um, Jordan. And I went, oh, yep. And he goes, uh, something about his nephew or something. 
And I said, hey, look, just stop from, stop there. I'll ring Viv for you and see if I can see if she's around or whatever. And he goes, oh, yep, okay. And so I rang Viv's cell phone and she was around at the refinery and I, and, and I said, can you talk now? And she goes, yep. So I gave him the phone and he just went up around where all our clothes are up the back there and unloaded. I asked Sharon if she'd heard any of the conversation with Viv and unfortunately she hadn't. However, I asked her what she remembered him looking like, and she confirmed what Viv had said, that he was Māori, approximately 45 to 50 years old, and dressed normally. I'm making a note of these details, as I think they're going to be important at a later date. I asked her if she thought he seemed threatening in any way. Or oh no, not at all. No. Yeah. So you seemed know. quite friendly. Yeah. And then he just talked to Viv and then walked out. Yeah, talked to her around the back there and then talked to her for quite a while. And then just came back and gave me the phone and said, thanks very much, and off he went. While Sharon wasn't able to verify the contents of the phone call itself, she was able to confirm that the event took place. However, at this point, I have very little to go on, with no name and few details. In murder investigations, it isn't unheard of for people to come forward and make false claims, even confess to crimes they didn't commit. The reality is that until I speak to this person... I just won't know. If true, these claims could be crucial in helping solve the case. Did Jordan's killer actually die in an unrelated event years later? Or is this just a decoy? A false lead? Or has this whole story just been misconstrued into something it's not? If you're listening to this, and you either are this person, or know who this person might be, and you would like to speak anonymously and clarify your story, and what happened that day, please contact me at brevitystudiosnz at gmail.com. Clearly, this is an important lead, but until I have further details, it's going to have to be parked for the moment. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Viv and I keep chatting, but the stream of customers coming into the store has become a river, and I decide to wrap up this interview and take my first opportunity to visit the scene of the murder. 
Viv points me in the right direction, and I walk back out of the store into a windy Paidoa day. Okay, well that was um, that was very interesting. Very interesting. A few different few different things to look at there. Uh, so I've just walked out of the antique store now and I'm heading down down the street. Gonna have a look and see if we can find the spot. It's quite windy, I hope it's not too windy. I turn left out of the store and walk no more than 50 metres till I find a back entrance on the left. It's here that I find a sombre reminder that this event was quite real and a man lost his life in this spot almost 10 years ago. Okay, so I'm, I'm at the spot where Jordan was found and there's a plaque here, a black granite plaque on the wall in memory of Jordan Vidori, 23-6-1956 to 186-2012. Our pizza man. Rest in peace. I pause here for a moment, paying my respects to Jordan, before making my way down the small back entrance. My immediate thought is how secluded this entrance is, tucked away down a side street. What could have brought Jordan's killer or killers here in the early hours of that morning? So I'm standing at the spot now where apparently there was a scuffle here which is still out the back and then Jordan managed to stumble about 18 metres out to the front gate. There's a few cars on the other side of the road at the moment but I could imagine in the middle of the night this would be very quiet, there'd be no one down here. And the thing that really sticks out to me is that there's no reason why you would come down here. There's certainly no sign that there would be any kind of burglary potential down here. You know, it's corrugated iron fencing and quite a rough old looking building. Just sort of what you'd expect at the typical back entrance of old stores in a country town. I definitely have to come back here late at night and get an idea of what it looks like. Actually, something else I wanted to check was security lights. Now, we're talking about 10 years ago, but my thought would have to be, were there lights out the back here? Now, I can see that right now there are none. I take some time and have lunch and decide to quickly pop back in to see Viv before I leave. I'm interested to know how much has changed at the scene since 2012. What's changed since back oh, then? Oh, well, there was a bit of scrub, but scrub and trees and things along the side. He's cleared it all. Oh, okay, so there was... It's totally changed, really. So it was more secluded than it is now. 
Uh, I saw there was an old yeah, stuff I, it, it, it was, you could say secluded. Yeah, it was more sort of a bit of great green and greenery and that around. Yeah. He, the guy pulled all that out only a few weeks ago, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, he just ripped the whole lot out. There was big trees and that at the back. I was going to ask, um, in terms of lights and stuff, did there used to be sort of lighting down the back there? Nothing, it was dark. No, dark, dark as. Yeah. Those gates were normally locked at night, but... That particular night they weren't. Yeah. Okay. And Linda, who was there, is left now. She's the one who found found him. Um. Oh, Linda. What's her last name? Uh, I don't actually know her last name. We just called her Rusty. Rusty's was the name of her shop. Oh, okay. She had a shop. She was just Linda Rusty's. Yeah, she had the three shops that are now just been rented and because yeah. she just sold them, so it's all changed. That's why I mean they've just all opened up in the last since the first lockdown. You'll remember Linda from episode one. She was the person who actually found Jordan's body that morning. However, there was the two-hour delay in her actually reporting this discovery to the police. I asked for her thoughts. Yes, that that was, I don't know. That sticks out. I know, same. It did look odd. And her husband was a, he was a um, undercover detective or whatever in a past life, but he worked out of town and they were separated. But Dick, this guy who was, he's died since, and apparently the police went to see him on his deathbed and, you know, asked him if there was anything he wanted to tell them and, and they spent two whole weeks out there at his house going over the whole place yeah. with a fine tooth comb, found nothing. I yeah. mean, he was a good guy. He wouldn't yeah. have done anything. Mm. Did she have any reason why there was that delay in time? No, I don't know why. I don't know. I never asked her, actually. It was odd, but I think when she found him, she rang Dick straight away. That's her yeah. ex-husband. And he said to her, go inside and stay there until I get there. Yeah. And so apparently she did. So, But that even wouldn't have taken two hours. He only lived out at Hack. And, I mean, it would take you five minutes to throw your clothes on and come in. So that would be ten minutes, fifteen minutes at the most. So why the two hours, I do not know. I know there's been a lot to digest here. Each lead seemingly almost as good as the next, and to be honest, I've only included about half here. There are a number of other potentially worthwhile angles to investigate that we'll get into in upcoming episodes, but I felt it was important to show what can happen when a town is left in a vacuum of information. Theories and rumours will over time fill this void, and as we'll find out, the longer time goes on, the more these rumours can develop and mould to fit a certain theory. It's crucial for me that I don't get caught up in this whirlpool of information. I need to begin this investigation with some clarity. The first step is to create an accurate timeline. Let's go over the reported events of that night. Jordan worked a normal shift at his pizza shop, Mykonos, and the last person to see him alive was someone making a bakery delivery at 10.30pm. Computer analysis then showed that Jordan was active on his computer and he shut this down at 1.30am. Two people from the funeral home across the street reported hearing a gunshot at around 2am. Jordan was then found at approximately 4am. The call to emergency services was made around 6am. All of these are times which have been provided by police, so this is the current most accurate timeline we have available. 
The first thing I want to do is confirm that these times are in fact accurate. I'm going to start with the staff at the funeral home, reportedly hearing a gunshot around 2am. To give you an idea of location, the funeral home is directly across the small side street from where Jordan's body was found slumped against the gate. A quick Google search, and I find that today it's occupied by Valley Funeral Services, so I give them a call. The guy that used to be here, he's left the company, he's now, um, as far as I know, he's down in Hawera. Hawera. That's a small country town, similar to Paidoa, about four hours away. Des is kind enough to track down the necessary contact details, and I give them a call. Glenn Rogers owns South Taranaki Funeral Services, and it turns out he's been expecting my call. It's a small world in the funeral industry, it seems. Straight away, I'm not off to a good start. This is going to burst your bubble, I'm afraid, my friend. I was not living in the premises across the road at the time. However, I was the funeral director that attended to Jordan's body. So look, long story short, we actually had another staff member um, in the premises at the time, and I actually can't remember his name, unfortunately. At the time of this call, Glenn couldn't recall that staff member's name, but he texts me back a few minutes later saying he did remember. That man's name was Stephen Roberts. Um, I know he was working in Rotorua for a time. Um, I'm not sure if he still is. Uh, But he was living in there, and he actually wasn't home that evening, didn't hear anything. I know that he said um, he didn't even realise it. I think he may not have been home. Glenn has made it very clear to me that as this was almost 10 years ago, he can't be 100% sure, and we do need to bear this in mind, But from his recollection, the fact that staff member Stephen Roberts was either not home that evening or didn't hear anything is in stark contrast to the police's stated timeline that at least one gunshot was heard from the funeral home at 2am. It's clear that I'm going to need to speak to Stephen himself, but he's proved difficult to find. He may have worked in Rotorua for a time after Paidoa, and we believe he may have ended up in Australia, working there. If you have any knowledge of Stephen's whereabouts, please contact us. Um, but I got the police call because we had the police contract for Pyro. Um, so I got the police con- police call to, to come down and attend Jordan's body at the time. And even then, there's probably not a lot I can tell you because um, in any form of forensic case like that, you basically uh, met at a distance and you hand your stretcher over to the police officers and they handle everything and bring you back a stretcher with a, a person on it. Um, for you to put in your car, and then um, you end up with a police officer who travels with you to the mortuary. So, um, so were you the person who prepared the body for the funeral? No. No? No. Oh. No, we did not do Jordan's funeral. Ah, uh, okay. Um, we were there as, as um, police-contracted funeral directors. So, um, uh, so we get called on behalf of the, of the coroner. Um, we're basically the coroner's transport agent. Um, and it's our job to attend crime scenes um, or car accidents or anywhere where death has been unexpected um, to uplift the deceased and, and bring the deceased back into the coroner's care, you see, um, which is what happened with Jordan. Um, so, of course, I turned up. Everything was all cordoned off, big tents over, um, over the... Um, uh, over the back entrance to, to Jordan's uh, driveway and shop because I used to hire one of the garages that was around in, in the same area. Um, and so, yeah, basically I, I pulled up and, 
and the detectives took my stretcher and um, took it off into a tented area and, and came back, obviously, with Jordan on it. But I did actually know Jordan. Um, oh, you did? I did. He was a hell of a nice guy. Glenn goes on to tell me that the funeral home is actually split into separate parts. The funeral home and an apartment for staff. Glenn did live in this apartment for a time. I asked him how soundproof the building is and whether someone might hear a gunshot because you lived there after that time. What would be your thoughts on sort of when you're inside at night, how much you can hear? Is the accommodation on the other side or? So if you're looking at the funeral home, the accommodation is down the right-hand side. The funeral home is down the left-hand side. However, and this is the thing, it's a solid block building, right? Yeah. Which the other problem is, is that if you're standing on Hall Street looking at the funeral home, the master bedroom is right at the very back of the building. Um, and if you're in a deep sleep in a solid block building, it's not always the easiest. Across the road, at the back of the building, across the road, you've got the fire station and you've also got the um, uh, landing pad for the helicopter for, for Pyro, which is right there by the, the fire station. Um, they can have helicopters land and, and fire sirens go off. Balloons slip through it. And yeah. when you're living in in town, as it were, as much of a town as Pyro is, and you've got trucks that are coming through down the main road, um, after a while you just learn to sleep through it. Mm. Yeah. So would you would we have heard a, a firearm go off? Um maybe, maybe not. Um because as I say, your body trains teaches itself to sleep through things. So could a gunshot have been heard? Maybe. I make a mental plan to try a field test at some point in the near future. Glenn and I continue to talk about his fond memories of Jordan, and the conversation swings to the finding of Jordan's body, and Rusty, or Linda Hunter. Glenn knew Linda loosely, as they all lived in close proximity, and I asked him if he's aware of the time delay in reporting Jordan's body being found. He says he is, and does admit it's odd, but follows it with this statement. Hey. You can you can make a million assumptions just by looking at someone, and you can make a million wrong assumptions too. Of course. Um, so I can't I can't really say anything just on the look of the man. Yeah. Um, uh, Rusty was always a bit rough around the edges, and so were mates. Um, but some of them, you know, I know a lot of people that are rough around the edges, but they got good hearts. You know. He makes a great point here. While the very nature of an investigative podcast like this will always involve an element of speculation. It's crucial that any questions are asked for the right reasons, not because of the way a person looks or how they might wear their hair. One thing is absolutely certain. The only way to remove doubt and clear up the rumours is to go to the source. Rusty no longer lives in Paidoa. She sold up her shop three years ago and has since moved away. I managed to track down her phone number, but if I'm honest, I sat on it for a week. I knew this was potentially going to be a very important phone call. Ideally, I would have liked to meet her in person, but I had no idea where she lived, so that wasn't possible. I decided to just give her a call and see what happened. My first couple attempts were met with an answering machine and no immediate reply. Just when I was starting to think I was hitting a dead end, my phone rang. Hello, Ryan speaking. Hello, Ryan. 
Is it Brian? Ryan. Ryan Ryan. Yeah. Um, I've got a missed phone call. Yes, yes. Um, My name's Linda Hunter. Guilt is written, produced and edited by me, Ryan Wolfe, and is a product of Brevity Studios New Zealand. Additional voice acting, Lewis Roscoe. Closing track, Jukebox by Patrick Patricios. While this podcast is not made for any financial gain and nothing is expected, producing shows like this require a huge amount of time and money. If you'd like to show your support with a small donation, it would be greatly appreciated, and you can do this at our ACAST support page. The link can be found in the description of this episode. On the next episode of Guilt, Who Killed Jordan Vidori? So I sort of felt guilty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then I said to my girlfriend when I was going down to the police, I said, oh, shit, I better tell them that, that Barry stayed with me. And she said to me, oh, no, no, don't tell them that, don't tell them that. And that's when I lied to the police where I never lie. I always speak the truth or don't speak at all. And because of the guilt and blah, 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 I just never, I, I just lied and, you know, didn't say that he'd stayed the night. And I was just wanting to ask you a couple of questions about that morning, if it was okay. No, that's a long time ago. Yeah, so you, you don't... How long ago that was? Are you, are you a detective or anything? Uh, I'm just uh, a journalist. No, fuck off. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.